The Latter-day Lives podcast is not owned or operated by The Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints. Any opinions expressed or implied in this recording are solely those of the host and guests and not of any specific organization, unless otherwise stated. Hello, friends. Welcome to episode 179 of the Latter-day Lives podcast. I'm your host, Sean Rapier. Thank you so much for checking in with us again this week. Oh, we've got such a good episode for you. Uh, My guest this week on the show is Nan Hunter. She is someone who is really important in my life, a very, very special woman. And uh, she is the founder of the Country School of Almaden. She is also the daughter-in-law of President Howard W. Hunter, about whom she wrote a beautiful book. She basically took his childhood journal and uh, brought it to life and got it published to share with everyone. Uh, Nan is such an incredible woman. You will love this conversation. And coming up this week in my Latter-day Life, a visit to the Cowboy Church. It's all coming up. So sit back, relax, and enjoy this week's conversation. Today, right here in the Latter-day Live studios, is a woman who has been so important in my life and in the lives of so many people. She is beloved by many. Uh, Not only has she run a school and raised a great family, but she's written an incredible book. We're going to talk about all of it. Nan Hunter, welcome to the show. Thank you, Sean. It's just so good to see you again. (laughs) It's so fun. I have known... Nan, literally my entire life. There are very few people I can say that, but you have known me like literally since I was a baby. And uh, what a blessing it is to have you in my home. By the way, this is a record. First time we've had a son and then a mother. So first time we've had two generations as guests. Our listeners can go back to David Hunter, who talks all about his crazy filmmaking, uh, you know, escapades. But now we get to hear from Nan. So I have so many questions for you. But before we jump into all that, let's hear about your younger years. Tell us where you're from and where you grew up. Well, I was born uh, in the LDS Hospital in Salt Lake City. And um, I grew up on at 241 Herbert Avenue between 2nd and 3rd East down by Liberty Park. It was a great, great place to grow up. We had a wonderful neighborhood my mom and dad um, were adorable parents. My dad was not active in the in the church. He started smoking when he was 14 and never stopped until I was 15 years old. But he was a good man. My mother grew up in Morgan, Utah, and was a came from a really well-to-do family that owned the only mercantile store around. And so she had beautiful clothes and beautiful things and ballet and piano and played the organ and danced. And, and we just had a good life. We just, I loved, we lived right two houses from the church. And, and I, um, I just remember that there were really important benchmarks in my life because I, I knew that the church was true when I was little, but we didn't really go that much. But when I turned eight and was baptized, my grandmother took me to the temple two weeks after my baptism. And I started doing baptisms in the Salt Lake Temple. She'd call me on the phone and she'd say, Nan, get on the bus, meet me in the temple. We're going to go to the temple. And so off we'd go. And I loved, it was just awesome to me to go in this building and the the desk seemed so high. And I honestly thought my grandmother was in charge of the temple. I didn't know anything about it, really. And from that moment on, I prayed every night of my life that my parents would someday come to the temple. Mm. And when I was 16, they did. Incredible. It was incredible. It was incredible. What a blessing. Yeah. So did you go in? You were sealed as a family? We were sealed on June 17, 1955. Wow. In the Salt Lake Temple. Yeah. What a special event. I, you know, I've... Because of adoption, I've gotten to be sealed Mm -hmm. to my family and had them all come in. And 
I almost like think that people who don't kind of miss something, miss don't you? Bit, I do. <laughs> <laughs> that is beautiful. So what were you into when you were growing up? What were your hobbies? <laughs> I think my hobbies have always been people. I loved having friends and knowing people. My little neighborhood, we had this little cluster of people that moved around, and we dug holes and made, you know, caves for clubhouses and built clubhouses out of old chicken coops and made dollhouses and climbed up trees, and I loved to read. I got a bicycle when I was about 10 years old. I loved to ride my blue bicycle. We just played. We played at night. We we dug, we raked up the leaves in the autumn and cooked potatoes in them and sat on our front porch and with the lights and played, you know, run, sheepy, run, and hide and go seek and just had a childhood that was idyllic, really. But I was also a warrior child. Mm. And I remember beating up people. If they did something that I <laughs> thought was, was not nice or right, I would slug it out with them. I love it. Oh, it was, I look back on it now and I think, Nan, what kind of girl were you? But I just felt like I always need to stand for what was right. And, and <laughs> if you're going to be mean to somebody, you're going to hear from me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, but that's child. wonderful. I think that's I a know. great thing. I think I've calmed down a little. I'm still kind of a warrior child. but <laughs> Oh, I totally see it. And we're going to talk about other things you did in your life that you had to be. You had to be strong in order to do so. That's great. You finish up your younger years. Uh, what came next? Well, we moved to California when I was 16 years old. How was that? 16 is a rough time to move. Like my dad, my dad said when he told us it was sadder than McKinley's funeral. Mm. So, <laughs> but being of, of strong will, I went to school and I, we moved to California and I just dug right in and got involved in all kinds of things at school. I was love theater, and I was in a couple, like maybe in those two years, I was probably in four plays. I was there my junior and senior year. We moved into the Pasadena Stake, and that was the stake where Richard was, mm. and that's where I met my husband. In my journal, when we left, I because it was hard. I was the, I'd always been a student body officer. I was a class officer my sophomore year in, at South High School. I knew that I would be the the vice president of South High, and that Mike Stewart would be the president, which mm. he was. It, I don't know. And it, it was hard. But I wrote in my journal, I think we have to move because I will meet my husband in California. And I did. So was that forward thinking or was that the spirit? Or a little I both? I think I just, because I had wonderful friends, boyfriends, and wonderful people Kids have become something, you know, in the world. and But I just felt like that just sort of felt in my heart. That was the only reason that we really had to go. Because Incredible. Why could life be any better? And how many siblings do you have? I have one sister and a brother. I'm the oldest. Yeah. Yeah. And so how old were they during the move? My sister's a year behind me and my brother was four years younger. Wow. Yeah. So that's a, that's a tough time for everybody. Yeah. Was it a job that took you out? My father was transferred. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And Pasadena from Salt Lake, mm -hmm. especially then, huge difference in the mm -hmm. church. Mm -hmm. You know, is that a big adjustment? Well, I went to a high school called Citrus High School. I lived in, we moved to Glendora, which is in the Pasadena State. But I was one of like maybe three Latter-day Saint students mm. in, my, in my class. Mm. Yeah, there were two other girls that were my age. That's that a was huge it. difference. I know. Yeah. And I started dating non-member boys, which were wonderful boys. I never thought that I would, but that's who was there. There weren't hardly any, you know, I mean, what do you do to go yeah. to the dance? Stay you got to date someone. <laughs> and I think that sometimes parents have said you can't date unless they're a member of the church. And my parents... They had none of those kinds of feelings. I mean, they were just really coming into the church. Um, and it was a wonderful experience. I met great boys. I, I, I went down there, and three of my friends joined the church my those two years that I was in California. Wow. One of them, and I keep in touch with one of them. His name's Jay Baumgartner. He's, um, 
He's in the film The Windows of Heaven. Mm. He was in theater with me. And How he just cool. he asked me one day, Nan, why are you all so always so happy? And I said, It's because I'm a Mormon. <laughs> <laughs> and he took the lesson, went to BYU and I love yeah. it. <laughs> so you mentioned that this is where you met Richard. I did. Tell us uh, tell us a little bit about Richard's family. Well, his father at that time was our stake president, and his he has one older brother. Um, his father interviewed me for my recommend to the dedication of the Los Angeles Temple, and that's how I met his father. And it was his father who said, Richard, you need to meet this girl. I'm sure, you know, they. his father was really one of my dear fans. He loved me, and I loved him. And he did some special things for me during those two years and the years that I was at BYU, too, Howard did. I wonder, I wonder how many people can say, how did you meet your husband? Well, we were set up by a prophet. Not yeah. a prophet at the time, yeah. but at the same time. Yeah. A prophet set you up with your husband. Well, I think he just promoted it. Ah, oh, got it. But when we had seminary graduate, you know, we had a big, huge seminary day down in in Pasadena Stake, and Paul Dunn, Elder Paul Dunn was the head of the, oh, yeah. at that time, was overseeing all the church education down there in Southern California. President McKay came, and during that dinner, and I was involved, I was on the, the committee, and I made this big, huge temple on the stage out of wood, and I was on the decorations, and but during the dinner that day, Richard was serving dinner, President Hunter was there, and President McKay was there, and President Hunter beckoned to me, and he said, Nan, come here. I want you to meet President McKay. And there were thousands of kids there, but I, but he knew me, which always surprised me. Mm. But, and and he's, he, he was just such a good friend. And then I gave the talk at graduation that year, at seminary graduation, and Richard was sitting by a girl that later became one of my roommates, and he told her, he said, Marilyn, he said, that's the girl I'm going to marry. Wow. Because I think that his dad probably told him that's who you should marry, <laughs> but I don't think he really believed that. But <laughs> Oh, that is just awesome. So, something? so you two started dating right at the end of high school. The end of my, well, it was my the beginning of my senior year, and Richard had already graduated. Okay. He'd already graduated. Yeah. Went to BYU. Yeah, so he took off and went to BYU. Did you guys just write the whole time? We did. Yeah. Have all those letters. You still have all the letters? Oh, yes. Oh, that's neat. And those are the days when you went on a mission at 20. So the next year, I went to, well, Richard talked me into going to BYU. I mm. wanted, I was in a movie that summer. One of the first uh, science fiction movies that they ever made, it was called Teenage Zombies. <laughs> and anybody that's into science fiction, all of you out there who watch that stuff, they probably have that in their collection. They know about it. Wow. Cool. And I, I love theater. I just loved it. And Richard, he, he convinced me. He was a very convincing boy. He said, Nan, come to BYU just for a semester. And if you don't like it, go do something else. And mm. so I said I would. And I got to BYU and I loved it. I just loved it. But then did Richard take off and go on a mission? No, we went to BYU one year together, mm. and um, we dated my whole freshman year. Awesome. And then he left. And then he left. So what was it like when he was gone on a mission? Were you waiting for him? Were you? How did that all go? Well, he gave me this little ring. It's just a little friendship ring. And Oh, you have it on? I've worn it my whole life. So he comes home from his mission. You're still there. What came next? So we had a wonderful summer. He asked me the summer formal. And I remember what I was wearing at the, that night. And he kissed me out on the patio at Helaman Halls. <laughs> it was the first <laughs> time he'd kissed me since he'd been home. That is <laughs> it was, awesome. It was heaven. What a great memory. And then we've, we worked it out during that fall semester. And, and I graduated that year from BYU. Did dating change a little bit? With it, it was one thing when you were dating your stake president's son. Now you're dating an apostle's son. I know. Did that add some complexity to the whole thing? You know, I never really, that never really hit me very hard. I mean, I just, I'd known President Hunter, you know, since I was 
16. Yeah. Now I was 20. It was still, it was still a wonderful, wonderful relationship. Yeah. I always went to conferences, and they always invited me to conference while Richard was gone. I did things at BYU. They'd always come and see me. I wrote and directed the song fest one year, and they were right there to watch me. I was in an accident my sophomore mm. year. Was in the hospital in Las Vegas for two weeks. Yeah. Howard drove from Pasadena to Las Vegas to come and see how I was. They remembered my birthday. They always incredible took me places when I'd come home to Glendora. I what a special relationship it was. Sean, it was it so was, neat. They were very dear people. His mother was a queen. His his dad was fun and well. And I love. We're going to talk a lot more about the hunters because that's the whole. Th- topic of the book. <laughs> but a, a couple things going back to this time. First of all, what did you graduate in from BYU? Um, I graduated a major in zoology and a minor in French. I did not know that. I didn't well, know that. That's amazing. It was ridiculous. Why, why is that ridiculous? <laughs> because I'm a writer. Mm. I've written volumes of things. Yeah. And I am a, I am a theatrical person and I love literature and I, I should have majored in English or something else. But, mm. but zoology seemed to be an impressive subject for a brilliant man. And I was trying to impress a brilliant man, which is stupid. I just can't believe I did it. But I did. That's just awesome. And, and my did- parents never gave me any. My own nan, don't do it. My, my counselor never said, Nan, you don't seem like a zoologist to me. And I thought, yeah, I'm not. <laughs> I'm not a zoologist. <laughs> and, and did Richard graduate at about the same time? He graduated in, well, I graduated in 1960. He gradu- That summer, he graduated in 1961. Got it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and he got his degree in law. No, he graduated in English and accounting. Oh, I didn't know that. Okay. And then went to law school. And then went to law school. Then he went to law school at Berkeley. Yeah. Got it. All right. So is that what took you out to Northern California? It is. Yes. Yeah. You went to Mm -hmm. Berkeley Law School. We did. Yeah. Your husband is one of the smartest men. I remember even when I was a kid, he was a little bit intimidating because he was so smart. He was, the way he talks and the way he processes things. He is just such a smart man. (laughs) So you head out to Berkeley. Mm -hmm. Uh, Was that an adventure? Loved Berkeley. We were, I love Berkeley. We were expecting our first baby. It was we'd been married eleven months, and we had a, that darling Kathleen and Berkeley Ward. Honestly, talk about going into a ward that inspires and and just elevates your thinking to another whole level of life. They mm-hmm. were the best people and smart people. They were good people, and I can't say enough about about young people these days and the opportunities they miss by being in a singles ward. They're good for some things, but going at my age of 23 into a ward of women who were just so amazing and husbands who were so amazing and learning from these people as Mm, a young mother. Sean, it was just, it was brilliant. People like J. Edward Johnson, James Sabine, uh, Henry Eyring, one of the, you know, not... The Henry Iring, but another. Yeah. I mean, the great people mm. that were in our ward. And Berkeley's such a beautiful city. Yeah. It's a fascinating place. I loved with it. With rich in history, and yes. we, we used to go there quite a bit when I was a when I was a teenager, and yeah. still love it. My wife and I love Berkeley. I do so. too. So then you end up having Kathleen. Now you're mm-hmm. a young mom. I am. And Richard's finishing up law school. It's his first year of law school. Yeah. How, so did he stay in Berkeley the whole time then? We lived in the in married students' housing for three years, had Kathleen and Anne, and were pregnant with Michael when he graduated. Mm. So we lived in Berkeley, and then after he graduated, we moved to a home, and he worked in San Francisco at an accounting firm to get his CPA because he majored in accounting. And so we were there for we were there for four years, mm. and it was just a just an exquisite experience. Wonderful. Sean. What took you out to San Jose? Well, we wanted to stay. He'd come, you know, from the L.A. area, and we loved the Bay Area so much. And we just looked around for a place, and it was the fastest growing city in America then. People yeah. pouring in, and Richard thought it would be good to set up a law practice. And his father had been in a private practice. That's what he wanted to do. So he started there for one year. We just looked around. It just seemed like a good place. It was cheaper than going to, like, 
Saratoga or Palo Alto. Right. Like $5,000 more could have bought us a, a mansion in Palo Alto, but $5,000 in 1962 was like what? 150000 I don't know how much it was like. We just didn't have them. You know, Which was, is funny because for a point of reference for people who don't know San Jose, it's funny now, and certainly Palo Alto, all those areas are super expensive. But it's funny to say Almaden Valley was a less expensive place. Yeah. Because Almaden Valley <laughs> came to be like a very wealthy area, like a oh really nice yes. upscale area. Yeah. And was that, did you only, was it your one home in Almaden Valley? No, did, we did had, you, a, had we bought into? a little, we bought a tract house okay. in 2000 or in 1967. Okay. Michael was a baby. He was a year old. Um, and it was a wonderful little 1900 square foot house with four bedrooms and we lived there for 10 years. Okay. And then we sold that house and we sold it for 10 times what we paid for it in 10 years, Sean, and build our house up on Lookout Bend. Oh, so you built that house. Yeah, we built that house. I, I mentioned this to Dave when he was on the show. Mm -hmm. I love that house so much. Mm Mm-hmm. I have the most beautiful memories in that house, uh, mostly of Jimmy and I throwing acorns at each other. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you had all these oak trees I know. <laughs> everywhere, and we would climb the oak trees, and we would gather acorns, and we'd throw them at each other, and we would run around, and uh, you know, along with other friends of ours, we'd play hide-and-seek out there I in know. the field. It was that so was on great. a fair amount of property, We too. had an acre of land there and 35 oak trees. Did you ever swing in our swing? Yes. Oh, I yes. Know. Wasn't that so great? It was a special place. It, that yeah. house was really kind of set apart yeah. from any neighborhoods or anything. And we felt like yeah. we'd play war or we'd play whatever. It I just know. felt like we were in our own world there. I know. We what a beautiful it. place. So then tell us how many children you have total. We have eight, four boys and four girls. Yeah, incredible. Yes, they're incredible. They're all amazing people. So at some point in this journey, uh, and something that is a big part of my younger life, you decide, hey, I think I'll start a school. (laughs) (laughs) Tell us how the country school of Almaden came to be. (laughs) First of all, while in in the 1970s, 76 when we celebrated the the bicentennial Mm -hmm. i wanted to do something to celebrate that so i started a children's choir the liberty bells and boys and we did that for two years we sang for ronald reagan and the freedom train and all the republican conventions and the churches and everything it was so much fun and i'd been thinking when you marry a man who is a genius and I'm a genius too, but I'm a genius in a whole nother world. <laughs> and you put those two people together, you get Flopsy Mopsy and Cottontail. I mean, you get everybody. <laughs> you just don't know. And Peter Rabbit too. And, and the children were so different. And their learning styles. And I have ADD, and I didn't know it, but I, that's what I'm having. And all of our kids do except for one. And and some of them have really, dis, they're a little dyslexic and they weren't doing as well in school as I felt like they should. I felt like the school wasn't focusing on the child, and they said, well, this is a gifted child, and this is gifted, but this one, uh, 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 and this one. And I thought, you cannot tell me that, because I had read in the Scriptures, in the Book of Mormon and in the Doctrine and Covenants, when I was struggling through zoology, struggling, weeping, that unto every man is given a gift by the Spirit of God. Mm. And I knew that every child had a gift. And I knew that I had a gift. It was not zoology. But I, that scripture, Sean, struck a chord in me my wow. junior year that, that has changed my life. Because at that, raising these children and people at school telling me that they were like dumb, I thought, you don't see that gift in that little girl who is the most gifted child I've ever known in things that you have no idea. And the reason you don't know she's gifted is you never offer art or drama or music or anything that she is gifted in. So I thought, I am going to do it. So I started a summer school, and I had a summer school for 13 years that we did at our house. We did it at the church for a while. Then the church wouldn't let me do it anymore, which I got to get that too, and that was fine. 
But we had like 125 kids a summer at our house for three weeks, and we did music and art and drama. And then I added reading because I thought, these, some of these kids can't read. They're not doing math. And we had sewing. We did poetry. We did put on a play. We just awesome. it, was, it was wonderful. And all during those years, Sean, I said, someday I'm going to start a school. And the Henderson School is right by our ward down there in Almaden. And one day we were driving on our way to church, and as I drove by Henderson School, the Spirit told me, someday, Nan, you will have a school in that building. And it was years before I started my school. But I just felt like that I knew more about a child. Mm. I mean, I am not an educated person. I am, you know, not a... I'm a born teacher, I believe. Our family has that gift. But... Absolutely. I knew I could start a school that would work for children. And so our motto was, when I sold this, this idea to people, my, my selling point was, we will give, offer a gifted education to every child because every child is gifted. And that, whenever you have something that is true, and it was the truth, people are, are, are drawn to it, Sean. Because they know, if you ask a mother, you tell me, Sean, which one of your children is the gifted child? Yeah, they're all gifted children. Absolutely. And no parent will say that. Every one of them. Every parent would say that. How could a school tell you that your child's not gifted? Mm. It was heartbreaking. Beautiful. What a great reason to start a school. I know. (laughs) So then that building for the old Henderson School became available. Yes. And... How do you start that process? Like, how does it even begin saying, okay, time to start the country school? Sean, it's such a long story. You don't even have time to hear this whole story. <laughs> but after a lot of a lot of everything, I mean, making a bid on another school and getting the school and walking into the business manager and the spirit telling me, do not take this school and walking out and having him infuriated over in Union School District. In my heart, I just went to, because they closed the school, and I went to the to the head of the business manager and said, I want to rent that school. And they didn't even know how to close it. They never closed the school. They were closing nine schools in one year. But Union School District had been closing them all the way along, so they knew how to do it. And I went into him, and we figured out how to do it. And I put in a bid. Wow. And I got the school. And there, I was the only one there. And there was that was an experience, too, for a girl that really... Didn't know anything. You were doing this all on your own. <laughs> I was. <clears throat> Incredible. Yeah. I just What year did country school open? Nineteen eighty two. And Dave tells a wonderful story that you he thinks that you always were one grade below him working its way up so that he couldn't go there. That he was allowed to be the custodian, but <laughs> not actually not at the actually end. Go. Well, it's really hard to start a school kindergarten through through eighth grade. For sure. So we started kindergarten through sixth. Yeah. So Jimmy came for, for sixth, seventh, and eighth. Yeah. Jimmy and I were classmates. We're the exact yeah. same age. And Meryl and Julia and Sam came yeah. practically all the way through. Yeah. Yeah. Incredible. And the country school, so I went for a year and a half. Mm-hmm. I went half of sixth grade, all of seventh grade. I was a very, very troubled student, a bad student. I was a mess. <laughs> ADD. Oh, I know, Sean. So much of it. And yet my memories of country school are so amazing, with one exception. And this is something that I think I've waited 30 years to talk about. Oh, dear. (laughs) Why did we have to wear blue corduroy shorts and pants? (laughs) I hated blue corduroy so much. The uniform was blue corduroy pants. And then the younger kids got to wear a golf shirt, and the mm-hmm. older grades had to wear a white button-up shirt. I know, Sean, because I, for some reason, inside of me is this <laughs> By the way, I'm proper, just teasing, but... I know, is this proper woman that felt like boys should have blazers and ties when we went on a field trip and, and look proper. And our girls, remember, they wore checkered pinafores oh, yes. with ruffles and... Pinafores and, and yeah. darling, and that has all changed. Nothing, I didn't live that, you know, to the end, but... yeah. I know. Oh, dear, yes. (laughs) So what were some of the things you ran into the first couple of years that you didn't expect? Well, for one thing, I was violently opposed to putting children in groups of bluebirds, robins, and buzzards. Mm. I was just, so we did not, we had 
no homogenous groupings. Yeah. We groups heterogeneous in heterogeneous groups, heterogeneous groups. So our reading group would have fast readers, slow readers, all kinds of kids in it. And they were all in groups, but they were heterogeneous. And you know, in my mind, I knew I was right. And I had fights with teachers. I had to let some teachers go. They knew that when they came, that we were not going to group by ability. Because when you put children in a group, it's like putting a bunch of engineers together. You only learn one thing. If you really want to learn something, you need to put in an artist. You need to put in a, you know, you need to put in a bookkeeper and a, a salesman and a bunch of people so that you learn from each other. And a fast reader doesn't mean that they even understand. Do you know that children who are less able to decode are oftentimes far more intuitive and insightful and able to make connections mm. and, and, and connections to what they're reading now to something that they read two years ago. They're, they have far more insight to so much because decoding is a, is a, a developmental thing. Mm. And it, it's really, you need to be together to discuss things and get ideas from all kinds of thinkers. And I, I'm so right-brained. I mean, I really have not any left brain. <laughs> but that's, I have Richard. That's why I have Richard. Yeah. But really, Sean, that caused so much trouble with some of my teachers because they were so, so traditional to what our tradition had been. And mm. traditions are often so wrong. Yeah, we get to in, where we are so out of step with what is really right. You know yeah. that we talk about the tradition of our fathers, and then we read in the scriptures, and those tr traditions are often the things that take us down the rosy path. Mm. How long did you run country school? Kathleen took over as the director, my daughter, but I was still there, and then we left on our mission in uh, nineteen ninety six. So that was from eighty two to ninety six. And I turned it over to Steve Hayden, the most brilliant, one of the most brilliant, unbelievable, unbelievable people I have ever known in my life. And he did so much good work at mm. country school. He made it into a business. I was just playing school. I mean, I was having fun. But Steve put us on the map as a real place. And, um, and then I came back from our mission, and I, worked, I was still at the school but sort of in and out, you know. Mm. I was always there, and I was on the board of directors for a while, but I hate the board of directors. I mean, they're good people. I don't hate them. I just, I don't like... Hate being a part of the, yeah. I'm a, I'm a dictator, probably. A, a benevolent dictator. A benevolent dictator. But I am a warrior, and I like, I am a warrior, and I like things to go the way I think is right, because I think I'm always right. I mean, about what children need and what they should do, and sometimes... And my patriotic feelings about the school, my feelings about not doing things on Sunday, I was criticized for that. There were just a lot of things. I mean, having prayer mm. at the beginning of our school year, which I always did. Yeah. Had prayer at our Thanksgiving feast, which I just felt like was so important, saying the flag salute every day. There were just things that I wanted to do that, that people just had such conflict with, and I couldn't stand it. Because I wanted to be the boss and get out of my way and let me do it right. It's one thing when it's a small startup. I know. But as it grew, it's just not, I know. it just can't work that way. And when Steve and I both left, things changed a little bit. They mm. still do the Thanksgiving feast and they have someone do a little thing about why we are grateful. But, you know, I just, yeah, I, I am a woman of faith and prayer. That's, I started this school and I had... I had miraculous spiritual experience when I did it, Sean. The Lord helped me to do this. I did not do this on my own. It was, it was Father in Heaven helping me to get this done because I think He needed a place for some of His children to be safe. Yeah. That's what I wanted to do, and He helped. Well, I, I went through rough years in my teenage years, and those, that was my very young teenage years. I was there probably 85 and 86. Yeah, right after we started. Yeah, it was pretty quickly yeah. after you started. And I will say, and, and hopefully this will, uh, this will make you happy, <laughs> a few years ago we took, we took some of our kids and we did spring break in San Francisco. Mm -hmm. And we rented a car one day to go out and see where my wife had grown up and then where I had grown up. And it was evening time. We drove over and we parked in the 
parking lot of the country school. Oh, did you and I sure? walked my kids around campus thinking that we were going to get arrested. But I walked around and I said, there's the ballroom where Anne-Marie St. Felix and I used to work, you know, handing out the ball and jump ropes and stuff and the great conversations we had. And that was Mr. Hanel who yep. did... Uh, who is still PD. there. Who is still there. Who is still there. Who is no still kidding. there. He was, you know, the PE teacher, and I walked through saying, and this was, and Mrs. Crandall sat here, <gasps> yes. and what a oh. sweet woman she is. And we walked and explored the whole school, and oh, my Sean. kids were just like, Dad, you really love this place. And I do. Oh, I love the country you, school. And some of my best friends, I mean, that's where Jimmy and I got so close. Yeah. And because of country school, Brian Blake and I and Matt yeah. Jordan and so many oh, of Matt, us yeah. are so close. Those years were so important to me. So personally, thank you for starting country school. Oh, Sean, it was a you're darling. special thank part of my you. life. So, <laughs> so let's move on then. You you ended up leaving. You, you leave on a mission. Mm-hmm. Was it hard to kind of disconnect and go, okay, we're moving to the next step in our lives? Um. It was it was really scary when I had to make an announcement that I was leaving because, you know, I so we had a great big beautiful dinner in our living room in San Jose in their house, invited all the key people and helpers and the you know, the people that really were the supporters of the school, not the whole faculty. We had about thirty five people that came and I made the announcement to them. And it was hard it's still hard for me not to be there. I yeah. I love children. I love a school. Oh, my gosh. What is more exciting than little kids and people learning and the dynamics of a classroom? So we transitioned, came home, and then they called Richard be the stake president, and we got really involved in that. And I was always involved in the church and doing whatever we were supposed to be doing. And, and then where did you serve your mission? In New Zealand, Auckland, yeah. New Zealand. How yeah. was that? The greatest experience. Well, one of the greatest experiences of our lives. It yeah. was fabulous. Loved the missionary. Loved New Zealand. Love, love. I've always been a missionary anyway, Sean. I yeah. love being a missionary. Now we'll circle back to Richard's family because this leads to a huge project. As you mentioned, you're a writer at heart. You mm-hmm. love to write. You've mm-hmm. written volumes of things. But this is a full book, The Diary of Howard Hunter, age 10. Mm-hmm. So talk a little bit about how this came together and what the book is. Okay. When, if you've ever read his biography that Eleanor Knowles wrote, she quotes from his little journal that he wrote when he was 10. And I knew he had it, but I, we never, you know, the trouble is we don't ask our, our people enough questions. I never talked to him enough about that. I should have. But I knew a lot about his childhood. Well, anyway, so when everybody got through with everything after Grandpa died, everybody left. And they said, Nan, you're in charge of cleaning everything out. Everyone left. <laughs> Richard, my John's wife, everybody. And they just left me there with all this stuff. So I, and there was a big file folder full of stuff. John said, you can just throw all that stuff away. He had no idea what was in it. So I go through it and I find the journal. There's the journal. I sat down in the basement and read the whole thing and I just cried. Wow. And it was this was in like he grandpa passed in um nineteen ninety-four, ninety-five. Yeah, mm-hmm. ninety-four. And so I found the journal, all the stuff I wanted, had the journal. We went on our mission in ninety six, came home, and as soon as we got home from our mission, I started to work on it. Just a little bit, kind of figuring out what I was going to do. And um, didn't pay a lot of attention to it. But when I finally did, it took me five really big years to go through it. And honestly, Sean, it's the most remarkable little journal of a little boy who writes about things that were going on in his life. And as you look at a boy of that age, 10, he became that man, a man of detail Mm -hmm. A man that loved his family, a man that worked hard, and a man that had a sense of humor. Like on the second day he wakes up, he says, I woke up this morning for once without being called. When I went outside, Ma and Aunt Vera were doing the wash, and I wish I stayed in bed. <laughs> <laughs> because he knew that oh, that's cute. time to help, you yeah. know. But his journal is unbelievable, and I think he's the only prophet that ever wrote a journal when he was 10 years old. Mm. And... And he writes about the end of World War I, a 
amazing. He he documented everything that happened in Boise, Idaho that day. The 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 Chinese setting off firecrackers in the parade and the people that spoke on the steps of the Capitol building wow. bonfires at night and hitting pans and and just the whole thing. And for a 10-year-old, so I took yeah. it to school and I read part of it to our 10-year-old, the fifth grade class. What do you think? And they would they were enthralled. It was just wonderful. So it was just a great project for me. I went to Boise about five times and researched. If he said he went to a movie on this date at the Majestic Theater, I went into the Boise Statesman and looked at the, the theater, the movie, who was in it, Charlie Chaplin, told a little about movies. So it really documents what he wrote about. What Dolly Dingle is, I won't tell anybody what Dolly Dingle is. You have to read the book to find out. <laughs> but he writes about Dolly Dingle and, you know, erector sets and things that we just don't even know about anymore. What incredible insight into yeah. a prophet. I know. That is just amazing. So it took you four years to compile the book? Well, it took me five years to get it all written. And then I compiled the, the text and the pictures that I mm. had because I had a lot of pictures. And then I sent it to Kiyoki Williams, great graphic artist mm. from the San Jose State. Yeah. Do you know Kiyoki? I don't know, but I know he's, the name. He's amazing. And yeah, he I put it together name. for me. And the book, well, I didn't want to do, I couldn't do a book on my dear father and have it look like a, a you know, cut and paste. I wanted it to look beautiful. And it is beautiful. Sean, I'm It is so beautiful. I'm looking at the picture of it here yeah. on the screen. The the image on the front cover is absolutely stunning. But just the whole look of it is so inviting and it makes you want to go into that space. Yeah. And you know, I did a ton of book review you know, I did a book trip when you go to the desert book and have people come. But the best one that I ever did was in, in Shanghai, because I went to Shanghai, did one there. And it was great because they had brought all their children. And the children were in, just mm. enthralled with these stories of the things that this little boy at 10 years, he built a go-kart. You know, he brought, in the, he brought a watermelon. He killed a turkey. He, you know, the things that you do in 1918 when you're 10 years old. I love it. I love it. hundred years ago. <laughs> It was one of the things I was grateful we had so much time with President Monson. We got to hear oh, a lot of his yeah. childhood stories. But yeah. President Hunter, it always feels like our time was short. It was short. You know, it was it was a yeah. short time. And so to get that glimpse back into who he was. And what a beautiful gift and legacy you've left for your children and grandchildren and wow. all of us to share in. You're and I want to put in the plug shy. that that book is available at Deseret Book. You can go to Deseret Book. Uh, dot com. You can find it on Amazon. Yeah. You can find it all over the place. And uh, what an amazing, amazing work. Nan, this has been so wonderful. This has been personally wonderful. Sean, you're so kind. You. What uh, kind words. Thank but, you. Uh, we're going to wrap up with the question that we ask all of our guests. Okay. I'll be interested to hear what you all think. Right. And that is, what does being a member of the church mean to you? Oh, gosh. Um, probably everything. Um, it's the greatest gift that I think a person could have to have a testimony of Jesus Christ to know that that the holes you fall into and the messes you make he will pick you up clean you up and put you back on your feet with love and forgiveness and acceptance and I think that the and I think that what it's done for me personally is that I have such gratitude, such deep gratitude for my life and the experiences that Richard and I have had for our children, my friends, the opportunities we've had to serve, to know people. I love people. I love people. I am a collector of people. It's my favorite thing in the world. And the gratitude that I have brings me joy. But that all stems from the gospel. Because, and it's not that all my friends are in the church. They're not. But the gospel gives you the heart of, of love and of acceptance and of pulling people in. Well, I can tell my kids I've never met a grateful grouch. Because people who are grateful are happy. And I'm just a happy person. Mm -hmm. I have joy. And I think that's because I 
understand who I am and who I can become. And so I just, I, I can testify that the gospel is true, that the Christ is our Savior, our Redeemer, and the hope of our lives. And I can say that in his name. Amen. Amen. She is a wife, a mother, a grandmother, the founder of the Country School of Almaden, which has played such a pivotal uh, role in so many young lives, and a published author about a great prophet. Nan Hunter, thank you for sharing your Latter-day Life with us. We thank appreciate you, it. Thank you, Sean. Thank you so much. You're just wonderful. <laughs> You've turned out so well. You clean up great, my friend. <laughs> oh. And my special thanks to my dear friend, Nan Hunter. What a blessing it was to get to spend time with her and hear her story. So many things I didn't know. Nan has been a blessing to so many, and I owe so much to her. Some of my best friends still to this day, I made at the country school, and Nan always opened up her home and her heart to me and to so many. And just thank you so much, Nan, for the wonderful human being that you are. This week in my Latter-day Life, I'm actually recording this from Austin, Texas, from a hotel room uh, where I did a weekend in Texas, and it all started on Thursday in Comfort, Texas, which uh, a lot of people may have not heard of Comfort, Texas, but it is an amazing place. I actually came out here because uh, I had an event in Seguin, Texas, on Saturday, a, a company for which I'm an ambassador had an event where they wanted to take photos and have lunch with their ambassadors. And uh, it was just a wonderful thing. But first of all, I was in Comfort, Texas, uh, which is just about an hour outside of San Antonio. And two dear, dear friends of mine live in Comfort, and they were kind enough to invite me when they they found out I was going to be in the area. They invited me to stay in their lovely home, and we just had such a great time. Uh, My friend, I've known him for uh, about 12 years, and I've known his wife of quite some time too. Amazing people. And they took me, we went and got breakfast tacos that were incredible. I've pretty much eaten all weekend. This is what I'm saying here is I have eaten so much uh, barbecue and we had hamburgers, the best burgers I think I've ever had. And my time with them, we didn't have a lot of time. We had the better part of a, a full day in the evening before. But one thing they wanted to show me was their church. And they go to the cutest little church. It is called the Cowboy Church of Comfort, Texas. And not only did they take me there, but we went and picked up their pastor and his wife. And Pastor Steve started this church many years ago. And it is the coolest little church. And I keep saying little. It's, you know, a normal-sized church. Uh, But they've built it up and built it up. And Steve just had this vision for the church that he wanted. And the Cowboy Church is exactly as it sounds. It uh, looks like cowboys are welcome there. And uh, inside, in fact, behind where he preaches, uh, they've built up a facade of a cowboy, kind of an old cowboy town. And they showed me what they were building now and some of the classrooms. And their passion for the gospel of Jesus Christ was so inspiring. And I was so grateful to get to meet Pastor Steve and his wife and my friends and their energy for the church. They are very involved there at the Cowboy Church. And uh, Pastor Steve was well aware that I was a Latter-day Saint. And of course, my friends have known that for many years. They know I'm very devout. And sometimes you kind of wonder how people, especially Christians, more traditional Christians, are going to perceive us. And Pastor Steve and his wife and, of course, my friends could not have been more loving. And uh, just I get the feeling that's how Pastor Steve and his wife just are generally. And I know that's how my friends are, that they're all loving to everyone and uh, truly Christ-like people. But I also think with Pastor Steve, I had a little bit of an advantage. And that's that Pastor Steve told me that he has a dear friend who is a Latter-day Saint. And that this friend of his who's a Latter-day Saint, every time they have uh, an opportunity to clean up the church or when they're they're doing additions to it, whatever, that his friend who's a Latter-day Saint shows up and pitches in and helps and sometimes even attends church with them. And that uh, this devout Latter-day Saint friend of his, when they needed new air conditioning, that he came over and helped them install the air conditioning and that he's done several service projects. 
And he even shared a beautiful thing that they had an area uh, outside the church that was just dirt, uh, just outside the church on their property. And they were trying to figure out what to do with it. They didn't really have money to fix it up as Pastor Steve has been building this church. And so they bowed their heads and they prayed. They prayed that they would have a solution because they wanted an area where kids could play. And Pastor Steve told me that they had said amen from their prayer, and not even a few minutes later, this Latter-day Saint friend of his called him up and said, hey, I have seven pallets of sod, and I have nothing to do with them. Would you like them? And Pastor Steve just smiled and told me what an answer to prayers it was, and that he brought over this seven pallets of sod, and a bunch of members of the church showed up, and they laid it, and they had a beautiful place for their children to play just outside the church. And Pastor Steve just smiled as he told me what a blessing his Latter-day Saint friend was. I'm so grateful for this fellow member of our church and for all the good work that he does in being Christ-like and being Christian and showing love to all and the great work he's done. I love the Cowboy Church. Uh, What a beautiful place for people to go worship. And I'm just grateful that, you know, there are pioneers uh, like this man. And I don't know him. I don't even know his name. But I'm grateful for the work he did. I hope that I can be a pioneer. I hope that when You know, I've gone out and I've met people that later, if they meet another member of our faith, that they say, yeah, I know members of your church are decent people because I know Sean. I just hope so. I would hate for somebody to be at a disadvantage and for someone else to say, I don't like your church because I know Sean. That's kind of my worst fear. But I'm so grateful for the good example of others. And the more we go out and the more we are Christ-like and the more we serve selflessly and the more we love and the more we're open, the better the better that we do. And I'm so thankful for Christ-like people like my friends, like Pastor Steve, and like this good man. I just pray and hope every day that I can be just a little more Christ-like to make the world a better place. And that's what's happening this week in my Latter-day life. Thank you so much for checking in again with us this week. If you know of someone who would be a great guest for our show, please email us at guest at latterdaylives.com. If you have something that we should be sharing on our social media, drop us an email at social at latterdaylives.com. If you want to reach me, I can be reached at Sean, S-H-A-W-N, at latterdaylives.com. The Latterday Lives podcast was produced by Gene Chittister. Social media by Skylar Fleming. I've been your host, Sean Rapier, and I think that's about all we got for you this week. So until we meet again, there is a great big beautiful world out there. Go be in it, just not of it. Thanks for listening. (laughs) 